BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. You know, these losers in Antifa, the mob, BLM, whatever you want to call them, they're going to be the first ones who get crushed if everything falls apart. They think they're going to be running the show, right? They do. They think that like once they destabilize everything, they'll be the king and they'll be running the show. In reality, we all know that they're going to be the first ones who lose if things get really violent. Let's go. Welcome to Citizen. Today, we've got a very special guest, David Hookstad from OutKick. How's it going, buddy? It's going great. Happy to be here. Very excited. Big fan of the whole Drinking Bros family. So yeah. this is awesome. Yeah, we're, uh, we enjoy you. I mean, it's, I do notice that there's some people out there in the sports writing community that kind of tiptoe into the culture stuff, but only because uh, they're walking out their front door and somebody has laid it all over the ground in front of them. It isn't necessarily an intentional act. Right. No, that's very true. I think one of the nice things about OutKick, though, is that we're, we're diverse in our opinions, which is way more important than diversity of looks, I think, as everyone knows, right? Better to better to debate stuff. And we do have a nice, robust culture aspect, too, because we're not losers and we don't hate the country. So it's, uh, it's a unique place to be. Yeah, it's true. Uh, so before we get too deep into this, um, <clears throat> first... Give us a little background on you, your bio and stuff, where you where you came from, what you do, and then tell us a little bit about OutKick. I'm not sure a lot of our uh, fans crossover between the two uh, outlets. Yeah, so I've been in journalism for about, or the media for about eight years. I started The Daily Caller. Tucker Carlson was my first ever boss in life. I did that for seven years, writing about, you know, sports, politics, movies, war clips, crazy things like that. And then I moved over to OutKick, which is more sports-based, obviously. It's where the call is more politics. And OutKick is just kind of a guy's guys website, right? You go there, you can get, you can find out what the big hit of the weekend was. You can read a little bit about uh, the best movies of the week. And you might even see a couple women in bikinis. So it covers just about every base possible. So that's pretty well-rounded, I guess. Yeah, very well-rounded. <laughs> um, you guys have... Uh... You, you guys have a pretty unique outlook on stuff. I mean, it's like, <clears throat> it's kind of a, 
the the politics stuff that that inter uh, weaves itself into sports from time to time. And look, this isn't new. This has been going on forever. It's been going on since Muhammad Ali, frankly. But um, you know, it, it's. I guess the thing I've learned the most, the more politicized it's gotten over the last, uh, I guess, since 2016, um, is that the left just can't meme. Why do you think that is? I mean, like it's it, I see a lot of uh, center left and center right people and even right people who are who make really funny meme content, but the left just can't do it. Why do you think that is? I think that the reason the right is better at the meme stuff at the comedy is because the right, it doesn't take itself too seriously. We don't think everything is a crisis that's going to bring the country to its knees, right? On the on the left, everything that goes wrong is number one, to be believed and not questioned no matter what. And they think that everything is literally a threat to the American system. And if you don't support what they're doing, the country is going to collapse. It's hard to be funny when you take yourself that seriously. And that's why they routinely fail. And they're also just, they're not deep thinkers, right? And they don't look past entry level stuff. The BYU race hoax. Mm. How many people in the media, sports media specifically, condemned BYU, condemned the entire uh, religion at BYU? And OutKick, to our credit, was the first outlet to say, this story at a minimum does not add up. And at worst, is a complete fabrication. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, you know what my, f my favorite part about that whole thing was, um, I initially heard about the story and I went to look into it and somebody posted, uh, some, some, uh, fucking lefty on Twitter posted a picture of the student section that the harassment was allegedly coming from. And I looked at the crowd. I'm like, eh, maybe, you know, I've been to uh, jazz games before and there's been some pretty nasty things said there, but then I scanned about six rows up. And it was the entire men's football team. Right. Now, I don't have to tell you that most of those men were black. And it's hard for me to imagine that, like, some five foot nine uh, uh, white kid it, it, that's going to BYU is just screaming the N word at somebody with giant black men standing literally right behind them. And nothing happens there. So it's like the ability to look at a situation <clears throat> and say, uh, uh, particularly one that you want to go a particular way and, and still be critical of it or, or uh, uh, skeptical about the, 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 what's, what's actually happening versus the narrative seems like a skill that's been lost on us. Oh, absolutely. It's been lost on us. And it's a shame because it used to be like being a journalist was, I don't know if you'd say rigorous, but it was kind of almost this sexy romanticized job, right? Like you were chasing down the mob, you were going to war zones, you your life might actually be in, in danger. And now it's turned into, oh, you question the FBI or you have some basic questions about the DOJ. You must be a domestic terrorist. And we're just going to pump that narrative no matter what, mm. which is why I think Fox outkicks some, you know, the caller. Uh, they're like, no, you should question just about everything you're told initially until you have evidence. That's my opinion anyways. Well, that's uh, I, used to be referred to as journalism, right? Um, right. And I guess it's a do, – do, I wonder which way it went first. I mean, the the larger public has always been relatively malleable. People think that these – like nonsensical propaganda, hero worship, political campaigns somehow sprang up in the last couple of decades. But if you listen to the radio ads uh, and look at the print ads for politicians in the late 19th and early 20th century, it's the same bullshit, right? I mean, that's that's where Trump got most of his stuff from. It's like you give you assign the person a negative nickname and only refer to him as that. That was a pretty common practice back in those days. 
So it's, you know, the public is pretty easily <clears throat> manipulated in that way. But there are, we could always kind of count on at least some group of journalists to be like, yeah, I mean, what you're saying is in, in a vacuum makes some sense, but here's some context that makes it obvious that that's not exactly what's happening. And I kind of, we, we lost that in journalism. It's a huge loss for America. It's, it's a monumental loss. I can, you know, I'm 30 years old. One of the things that I would link it back to is if you look at how the coverage of the Iraq war was, every news network in America was on board with the Iraq war and everyone bought the Bush administration's what they were saying. And now we know for a fact that they should have investigated harder. And, you know, that's only 20 years ago, roughly exactly 20 years ago. And it seems like those lessons have not only not been learned, they're actually getting worse. And it's like, you just parrot whatever the, administration tells you if it's a left administration for the most part and if it's a right-wing administration you you know you attack them relentlessly whether they actually deserve it or not and now we're seeing uh you know a couple of these journalists that have linked up with uh with with elon musk now i guess um although i still see the interesting thing about this is the washington post new york times so on have been doing propaganda for the Democratic Party for some time now, right? Um, and it is like you—you right. you see this this very bizarre group thing permeate through almost everything. Anytime any lefty politician gets COVID now, for example, it's the exact same paragraph that they post. I mean, almost to the word. It's like, uh, just found out I've got COVID. Thankfully, I'm vaccinated. Boosted. Blah blah blah. Like, what the fuck are you talking? Why are you all saying the exact same thing? It's very bizarre. Like, I don't, I don't know where, where's this playbook coming from, but then you see <clears throat> uh, Elon hands all this information over to uh, Matt Taibbi, Mike uh, Schellenberger, uh, Barry Weiss. And I think there's some other people involved in the back end as well with those three particularly. And I still see uh, Taibbi and uh, Barry Weiss, at least I've seen personally still be critical of some of the stuff Elon's doing. That's, the way that it's supposed to be, right? Like you're not supposed to just sign on and tacitly approve any every, any and everything somebody says just because you agree with them on one point. Right, or just because they're they're helping you out, right? Like Elon Musk gave those documents to Barry Weiss. She still called him out for what she thought was incorrect banning of people. As someone who lives in DC, I can tell you and has witnessed it firsthand, the throne sniffing that goes on among DC elites and DC journalists is, is honestly embarrassing. It's it's like they're so desperate to be part of the cool kids club that they forget their job is to hold people accountable. It's not to be their best friends. You can't be best friends with people you're supposed to hold accountable, right? You look at these people at holiday parties, they get around Joe Biden, they get around other government officials, and you think they hang out with each other on the weekend without chummy they are. How can you expect these people to actually investigate individuals when that's the relationship they share behind closed doors? A little confusing, isn't it? Yeah, and I've had some situations where I've gotten firsthand information from tier one operators on the X, right? People that have been involved in particular operations have told me what happened. And then I'll run it through uh, the, the mainstream media and they're like, no, I talked to my guy at the Pentagon. That didn't happen. I'm like, you're full of shit. Like you're, you, you want access to the Pentagon, so you're not going to challenge them on their narrative. And that's a very right. cowardly way to go through life, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. And let's not forget, speaking of how untrustworthy some people can be, we still don't know who leaked the claim that Russia bombed Poland. I mean, that was, what, a month ago? Mm -hmm. And nobody's identified almost certainly what, I mean, I think it was a senior level Pentagon official 
Who said that? I mean, that's the type of stuff that goes from a proxy war to a full-blown potentially war. Why don't we know? It used to be if your source burned you, you burn that source publicly. Mm -hmm. That's how that used to work. And now there's some guy out there that leaked that, almost certainly knowing it was fake. And still, we have no idea who that is. Why? I I think that's a curious question. The the short response to that is that if the guy didn't know it was not true – then he's a fucking imbecile. If he was, or he or she, whomever it was, if they were involved in any way in, in the BDA, the battle damage assessment there, like there, somebody on Reddit, it, Reddit figured it out within six hours, exactly what happened. Like you can look at the, the uh, battle damage, you can look at the munition left on the ground and tell that it's one that is far outside the, the range of anything Russia could have fired into that location, right? And it took somebody, just some dumb dumb on the internet, Honestly, it was probably an artillery person in the military or maybe a JTAC in the Air Force or something like that. <clears throat> but we are kind of getting – this is another thing I wanted to discuss with you. There is all of this this confluence of, of power and motive infecting the media in the country and journalists in the country. But then you have, I guess – independent journalists and also just regular people who have extreme levels of access and expertise on certain issues that we're clearly being lied to about, right? Like I've worked at the Department of Homeland Security. I've been in the military. If you try to lie to me about things that are going on there, particularly with immigration, that's not going to work because I know that you're full of shit. And there's a lot of people like me out there that have that kind of experience and people that have experience at all these other levels. And it seems like to, to combat that, the media at large is kind of leaning on these uh, honorific titles that carry no real weight. Like he's our senior foreign policy expert. What the fuck does that mean? You know what I mean? Give me his resume. I'll decide if that guy's a senior foreign policy expert. Well, I, I think to your point about the independent journalists kind of changing the narrative, there's no better example of that than in 2020 when Antifa and BLM was burning down cities across America and you would turn on any several major news outlets and they're like, well, you know, it's mostly peaceful. It's not, you know, maybe one or two bad people. And then you'd see the film footage from people on the ground at two in the morning when people are getting shot, businesses are being torched. You know, Rittenhouse was essentially acquitted because the evidence that that got him off, the film footage was filmed by independent journalists, mm-hmm. right? And if that film footage doesn't exist, the media could have crafted a narrative that almost certainly ends with Rittenhouse in prison, right? If it weren't for the independent journalist in 2020, that we might not have had any of that footage of mm. what Antifa and BLM did. So I agree 100 percent. And that's why it's important. But, yeah, everyone loves making up job titles. Another classic D.C. vibe. Uh, again, it, it's ridiculous. And I, I couldn't agree more. I like the one I like the uh, the disinformation slash misinformation expert. Now, what exactly are the qualifications for that job? Yeah, I mean, they just, it's, it's something that they've made up. It's very dystopian because you make up a job. It sounds like the Gestapo, right? Like you're, you're in thought police, essentially, uh, and you're an expert at that. And you became an expert at that because... Because, I, because the regime, uh, and I'm not saying regime in like the, the sense of like the Third Reich, but the government has decided that they want a, a party line on everything, mm. and they're going to nominate someone or name someone. And if you disagree, you're missing 
information. But I mean, think of the COVID stuff. How many times were we told if you get the vaccine, you can't get COVID <laughs> or if or that, you know, you can't spread it. They would have told you and people were banned from social media because that was misinformation. That was that was false. And then it turns out, oh, no, actually, that was 100 percent true. The government should not be in the business. I believe there's some called the First Amendment. Correct me if I'm wrong, of regulating speech. And it's not on the government to tell the public what is or isn't 100 percent true or not. We have brains. We should exercise them. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it's like um, this is the battle that we fight on a day to day basis. And it's not just with speech or anything else. Uh, It's I I think it's a a constant. It's a standard in life. Uh, I'm sure somebody will articulate it in a more eloquent way and put their first name in front of it and call it a razor. But the more we sacrifice, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the, the, the more we accept convenience from outside sources, the more liberty we sacrifice. And it, there's a, there's a, uh, uh, there's certainly a measurable rate between the two. And once you give up authority over your own life, it's very difficult to get it back. I mean, you give it up by uh, capitulating and saying, well, it's just, but then you have to fight to the nail to get that shit back. Right. And you never, I mean, is there an example of every, the government taking large scale liberty away and then giving it back? If, there is it i it doesn't occur to me i would say a saying i heard uh that a guy by the name of jesse betcher who's a former uh unit member in the army shared and i'm sure he didn't come up with this but he says it's much better to live a very violent state of freedom than a very peaceful state of slavery mm. and and i i don't know where that originated from he put that on his instagram and i read that i'd never heard it before but i agree 100 percent. isn't it better to have more liberty and more risk then have the illusion of no risk and safety because when the government takes your liberty away, make no mistake, you're not getting more safety, right? You're getting the illusion of safety. Well, you're getting their version of safety, which is essentially compliance, right? And that's how right. most of the institutions in our country are set up these days. The um, The public education system is designed specifically to spit out compliant workers. I talk about this on the show a lot. I talk about it with educators on the show a lot, uh, people who are into the school choice movement, which I really appreciate because it's taking money out of failed government programs. But it, it's it begins there. You know, we want people that are, I think it was, was it Rockefeller that said we wanted people who are just smart enough to run the machines? Like he doesn't want an educated workforce. We want people who are, you know, compliant. And if you think about what a good student is in school, uh, sure, there's some element of accomplishment, the the grades and, and, and standardized test scores. But if you, if you're a parent and you say, is my child a good student? Uh, one of the, the, the first couple of adjectives you're going to hear are qu- things like quiet. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, compliant to some degree. <clears throat> and then, you know, the other s- systems, our legal system, our tax system are set up so that it, it's, it's essentially a pay to play system, right? Like the, the more, resources you have and the more favors you do for people the less likely you are to get prosecuted regardless of your behavior um and that's not really a good way to set these things up you know what i mean because it is it is certainly the illusion of safety it's their version of safety which is which is to say it's safe for them to do what they want and not have a rebellion on their hands right exactly and into your point about schools i was a terrible student in high school i was a terrible student in college and the most successful people i know and i'm not saying i'm successful people way more successful than me weren't good students either my most successful family member who's an uncle i think barely passed high school 
but he was a very independent thinker. I think I'm an independent thinker and I'm interested. I would rather spend two hours reading Wikipedia pages about World War II or some political theory than I would reading some book in high school that's going to have no impact on me. But if you do that, but if you do that, you behave that way, then yeah, you get you get in trouble. They mark you a troubled student, a troublemaker. It's it it's ridiculous. I had never thought about it that way where we just pump out compliant people. But yeah, I mean, when you think about it, how could you argue against that? Yeah, I mean, it's like not 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 for I'm saying that's yeah, what's happening. Certainly, certainly it is. And it's been happening. I mean, for about the last hundred years or so, most of the people in the uh, I guess in the reformed education field, that's that's what they say is about a bit been about 100 years. Um <clears throat> And now we're getting to a point where, you know, we've lost the critical thought. And, and it's the same. It's an analog to that relationship between surrendering your liberty in the name of convenience. Um, because there are things that come with the struggle, right? The fact that there is no safety net, you learn how to balance a little better. The fact that there's no breaks means you fucking are a little temper, more temperate about how fast you approach something. Right. And this illusion of safety and security that the government provides it all, all of the guardrails that society naturally creates for itself as it rises um, like being a good person for example and expecting that out of other people and developing a system to determine who's good and punish who isn't these are all things that are that are part of society those things go away and you see the last generation and a half or so who have no concept of that whatsoever and they've been very easily tricked into thinking that words like we we grew up saying sticks and stones can break my bones but words can never hurt me and they've literally flipped that where people are burning yes. down cities because of things that hurt their feelings this is uh the dumbest period in human history i believe and it's not and let's take it a step further if you're one of the few people who still believes in self-defense for example there's a woman being prosecuted in new york right now because she didn't let a mob beat her to death in her car she drove right through them and the state of New York, the city of New York has determined that's criminal behavior. If you defend your life against the mob, I guess they have the right to kick your ass. It's insane. To me. And if you even. Like this. But yeah. When mobs are allowed to do what they want, when they're empowered by the government, when the cops are told they're not allowed to intervene, it's not like the cops don't want to intervene. They're not allowed to. And it, it's ridiculous. And it, it leads to weak people and weak people bring bad times around. Mm. And then and then, you know, these losers in Antifa, the mob, BLM, whatever you want to call them, they're going to be the first ones who get crushed if everything falls apart. They think they're going to be running the show. Right. They do. They think that like once they destabilize everything, they'll be the king and they'll be running the show. In reality, we all know that they're going to be the first ones who lose if things get really violent, which I'm obviously not advocating for. Uh, I'm, I wouldn't advocate for violence uh, either. I think it's uh, typically it, when things on, on the revolutionary front are led by violence instead of led by ideas followed by violence, typically it's just one asshole taken over for another asshole, right? I agree right. with you there. On the, I actually, you, you're, <laughs> you, I did, a, I had a rant, I think it was in, July of 2020, if I'm not mistaken. I don't remember what it was. It was right after George Floyd um, about Antifa specifically. I believe, I believe it was when they set up the autonomous zone in Seattle. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's very funny. You, you really hit the nail on the head with it because if all this infrastructure goes away that protects these people that they take for granted, I will fucking murder the fuck out of all of them and steal all their shit. 
Like, if this is the Thunderdome, you're not a winner, bud. You're a fucking skinny little white kid that's never faced any real peril in your entire life. How do you think this is going to go? Yeah, it reminds me of the video of the old NBA player, J.R. Smith. Uh, some white punk, little scrawny white punk tried, I think, spray paint his truck. Mm. And he beat the living shit out of the kid. And then he posts on Instagram, don't come around to my neighborhood trying to pull that shit. Yeah. And, it, you know, I, I grew up in a rural area, a lot of farmers, nicest people in the world. You could not ask for better. They'd give you the shirt off the back, food off their table. You come around their farm and try to burn it to the ground, and you're going to find out real fast the farmers of Wisconsin are very well armed. And they're not, they're, the window for negotiation is closed at that point. Mm. At that point, <laughs> it's going to get real. It's, it's insane to me. They're living in a land of delusion. Yeah, Chuck Liddell likes to call that a fighting offense. Um, anytime, like, I've never heard that. Yeah, he's, he's, it's so funny the way he describes it because it, it would be one thing uh, if just some regular dick on the street was saying it, but this is, you know, Chuck Liddell. He's like, look, it's not about feelings or not. If you cross a certain line, that's a fighting offense. We got to fight. That's just how it is. I'm like, that's a really good attitude to have, right? Because it's a there. You did you have delineated very clear boundaries, and that's what society needs, right? Like, you, right. it it should be very obvious that if you prey on other people, whether it's violently or regard with regard to finances, or if you're a slumlord or something like that, the negative things should happen to you, right? And there has to be some commensurate return of punishment for shitty behavior or if not punishment outright then banishment or whatever it happens to be you have to be removed from the equation for greater society to thrive um and you know this is this is how you raise children you give them structure and very clear guidelines and this is how you conduct uh basic training in the military it's how every fucking training style we have for people that are going through developmental stuff whether it's in childhood in adolescence, whether it's uh, as a young adult, whether it's going through the military, whether it's going to a fucking NFL training camp for the first time as a rookie, right? Or showing up to college to play football, you get involved. Like I, I, somebody comes to Nick Saban on day one of, of, of uh, uh, summer camp in their freshman year. And it's like, hey, you know what? The yelling is really hurting my feelings. That person will not be at Alabama University any longer. Right. No. And you'll notice that he's that's the only major school, <clears throat> even in New York Six Bowls, where every single player is fucking playing and not sitting out. Exactly. Even, even two of the problem, the even two of the likely first five picks in the draft are still going to play that more or less meaningless game. Right. Right. Because Saban is notorious for running this, the program with an iron fist. Mm -hmm. and I don't say that as a negative. I say it as a positive. I would say with the thing that with, when it comes to people preying on people and where we've really failed young people, young men specifically, when I grew up and I'm definitely not a tough guy, I don't want to give off that fake persona. It's not the case whatsoever. But fights happen in school. I didn't get in them, but they happen. Kid would be getting bullied. He would snap and finally something would happen. We didn't run to the teacher and say, hey, so-and-so is being mean to me. He's insulting me. And maybe you get your ass kicked and you lose, but at least you sent the message. And I truly firmly believe this. It, it's better to send the message and lose, but at least let them know. We're not going to tolerate this. And then you show other people around you, we don't have to tolerate this. But instead, we now let bullies verbally go after kids. And all that happens is the teacher smacks them on the hands verbally, You know, tells me you shouldn't do that. And what are we raising? We're raising an entire generation of young people who, one, won't stand up to, to bullies in any sector of life. And then, two, we're raising a generation who's not being taught the skills of like, hey, you see someone in trouble, you got to intervene. Mm. You see someone that can't help themselves, 
It's your responsibility to either get them help or find someone who can get them help. I truly believe that. And I think that it'd be better to let teenage boys do that again uh, than, than essentially wrap them up and tell them everything's going to be fine and get them a blanket and pat them on the back. This episode is brought to you by BlackRifleCoffee.com. Get 20% off your first order with the code CITIZEN. Black Rifle Coffee is the best coffee company in the world. They're our buddies. But we're not just saying that. We also are customers. Join the Black Rifle Coffee Club and get fresh roasted freedom delivered straight to your door. Black Rifle Coffee Company is veteran-operated and supports America's military law enforcement and first responders, not just by saying they do, which is what a lot of companies do, but they actually do it. They give you the best coffee, and they also send coffee to uh, to these guys on the front lines, the people that support uh, support us. So get premium coffee delivered every month. Choose your favorite roast, whether you like light, dark, or medium. Choose the grind. Whether you want ground coffee, uh, whole beans so you can ground it yourself, which is what I recommend, or coffee rounds if you're in an office or something like that, and you need uh, Keurig. You can also choose your delivery schedule, and it'll come to you anytime you like. Members also get free shipping and access to exclusive partner discounts. Get 20% off your first order with the code CITIZEN. Go to BlackRifleCoffee.com and get those deals today. Next up is GhostBed. GhostBed.com forward slash Bros. Right now, GhostBed is offering a 40% off GhostBed bundle where you get a mattress and an adjustable base. So you don't need a code for that. You just add the mattress and the adjustable base, uh, and it'll apply auto-apply 40% off. And then anything else you add to that order, also 40% off. For everything else, you can use the code DRINKINBROS at ghostbed.com forward slash DRINKINBROS, and you're going to get 30% off everything on the site. Now, they have the best sheets, mattresses, pillows, covers, all this stuff. You can get, all, you can get an entire bedroom suite. Here, and you can get it all for 30% off a month. But wait, there's more. You can buy a mattress for about, you can buy the whole thing for about 35 bucks a month because they have a zero down, 0% financing plan that extends out to 60 months. That's five years, which is about the amount of time that a bedroom suite lasts. So that's a great deal, folks. Go check it out at ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. Yeah, I mean, you know, when, when somebody is <clears throat> really being, systematically harassed by another person or group of people, um, whether it's even real or perceived. And the solution is these, you know, inane platitudes from people in positions of power who, you know, as a child, you expect them to protect you or at least have some interest in your well-being. And all you get are like, oh, it'll be okay, buddy. That's how you end up in a fucking trench coat with a shotgun. You know what I mean? Right. Because exactly. eventually you're going to take that shit into your own hands. And uh, it's... We, we've we've made I talk about this a lot on the show, but we've made huge mistakes in how we handle bullies. One, like you said, teaching kids that their their responsibility is somehow not there for them to do something, um, uh, uh, other than just going to tell an adult. Like this idea that some kid's getting beat up by a bigger kid and you should just go run for help. Fuck that shit. You know what I mean? Like how, that's that's not gonna work. All they're now all they're gonna do is wait until the teacher's not around. They're gonna beat that kid's ass again. So right. what, what are you fucking doing? 
Right. And, and there's strength in numbers, right? Like mm. maybe no one stood up to a bully before because they didn't want to be the only one to do it. But now they see someone else did it. And now they think, hey, I don't have to put up with this guy's shit either. If one person stepped forward, maybe a second person steps forward. And, and bullies, uh, you know, they kind of rule on the belief. Essentially, they rule on people's fear because nobody stands up to them. And then because no one stands up to them, people think it's not possible. They're just cowards. And they're likely insecure and have their own problems. Maybe they got a shitty family home. Mm -hmm. Maybe their dad is not <laughs> present. And that's something you shouldn't shy away from either. Like anyone who behaves poorly on a regular basis at a young age, it's not just because they woke up for no reason and decided to do that, right? Like they're venting. Something is causing those issues. Yeah. And, the, you know, the child, I, this is, the, it's another thing that I discuss pretty regularly. It was the second part of my original point is that what are you, what are we doing to solve the bully problem, not to solve the the outcomes, not to solve, not to stop bullying, but what are we doing to solve the bullying problem itself? And part of it is, yeah, you triage, you stop the violence and, and, and separate the kids or whatever. Uh, but how much effort is being, what's the relationship and effort being put into coddling the victim versus, uh, uh, I guess, mentoring the perpetrator? You know what I mean? Like you said, there's something going on. People don't just wake up and do that. So, hey, what's wrong, dude? Like, th this is this is inappropriate. I you you seem like an otherwise good kid. Why the fuck are you fucking lashing out at people like this? What's what's causing that? And that's something that we just don't do at all. We we call that person like the word bully is thrown around in the, in the same way that you know Nazi is or whatever the fuck, and people just sling it around and 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 use that as a. <clears throat> it's a very convenient way to label somebody something forever as a degenerate and somebody you shouldn't waste time on and just forget about it and just let it sit there and act like it's not going to become a problem in the future it's really fucking stupid right I, I think when i look back at some of the kids that i would say were bullies that i grew up in my high school now 12 13 years removed from that it's very obvious that all of them had parents that ended up getting divorced they had addiction issues. They had a whole laundry list of things. And maybe if those problems had been treated at the root when they were 16, they wouldn't have struggled when they were in their 20s or 30s now. So I agree with you. It's a two-pronged solution and, and you got to treat both both of the both of the issues. Now, how do you see this uh, spilling over into professional sports? Because a lot, a lot of the fucking conflict between men in professional sports used to get solved on the field. And we allowed for that. There, there might be some small measure of punishment for if, if it got out of hand. But more or less, I mean, hockey still does it, I guess, to a large degree. But the rest of the sports, I, I remember <clears throat> coaches like Lou Pinella and Sparky Anderson running out onto the field and losing their fucking minds. You know what I mean? Throwing dirt on people and chest bumping and all this stuff. And they didn't get fined. They're, you're going to get ejected if you go too far, but you didn't get fined for it. They didn't try to, quote, unquote, make an example out of you. And what exactly, like when, when you take away the natural ways that two alphas conflict resolve, then they will find unnatural ways to do it. And, and think about, like, if you, if you have a dog and then you buy a second dog, <clears throat> they may be... Uh, uh, they may get along from the very beginning. Who knows? Sometimes it happens. But very often, especially if you get a, a, an adult dog and you already have an adult dog, there's some territorial shit that happens, right? They fucking, they, they have to get in a little right. scrap and then decide who's who. And 
if you stop that, then they will just keep, if you, if you intervene every time they start growling at each other or get in a little dust up, then the fights are going to get progressively worse. That's how it right. works. And, and I'm, look, people aren't dogs, but psychology is psychology, right? I mean, we, we've discovered classical condition from, from, uh, you know, doing horrible things to dogs actually, but this is how it works. You know what I mean? And how do you see that spilling over into fucking sports generally? Because it seems like, it's especially in the NFL and NBA, the taunting rules and all this other stuff, man, that's fucking stupid. I really enjoyed watching Deion Sanders and Andre rising, get into a slap fight. The first game that Deion played against his former team. That was great. Yeah. I agree with you hundred percent. The taunting rule in the NFL is ridiculous. Like just from a fun aspect, if you do something good, you should be allowed to celebrate it or maybe, you know, get a guy's face, chirp him a little bit. They're, they're throwing flags because they say people are dropping the ball disrespectfully after first down. But to me, it's much worse than the NBA because the NBA, which admittedly I don't watch that much anymore. But if you look at the players in the NBA, it's more about being a celebrity than it is a basketball player. You look at their Instagrams, they're wearing like $5,000 sweaters, getting into games and stuff. And then if they touch each other, it's a foul. It's fake tough guy stuff. And you know, not one of these guys is actually going to throw a punch. You look at Bill Lambeer with the Pistons. You look at the Jordan Air in the 90s. It was a bloodbath in the in the, in the the paint. Obviously, less talented players overall, but mm. physically, that was encouraged, right? You know, but then you have the opposite end of the spectrum. We have the Michigan-Michigan State situation where they beat the living lights out of uh, two players in a tunnel after a game. And the thing about that that bothers me is you just had four quarters to whoop up on Michigan in regulation. And you got your ass kicked instead. So don't now take it out on them because you got drilled when it mattered. And now <laughs> when it's 18 on two, now you're going to be a tough guy. Yeah, I mean, it's <clears throat> that was uh, pretty cowardly. But I do think it's a symptom of not letting people resolve that shit on the field. Uh, and it brings me back to the Houston Astros. When, when everybody came back to play after all this shit went down in 2019, the league was very keen on making sure – people weren't throwing at all the Astros players all the time. Right. You could have solved that by instead of firing three coaches, suspending every player that was involved in it. Right. Or it's going to get settled on the right. field. It's going to be one of those two things. And if you don't think that the players fucking have a long memory, let me introduce you to Greg Maddox, who like he he's, he's obviously autistic as shit, but he's the guy. He wouldn't throw his best pitch to you. If he saw you're in the regular season, if he thought he was going to see you in the playoffs. That's the kind of mind these these baseball players have. They have the longest memories of any players in professional sports. And you know, look, the Major League Baseball has been plagued with a series of shitty ass commissioners. Um, they're just terrible. Like this jackass. Now, I don't, I don't know if you saw that breakdown of the juiced balls that were used. I think you guys posted about it. Um, but mo uh, most of the, or maybe maybe one of you guys retweeted, it, but it was. <clears throat> there's this organization that collects. Um, like four or five hundred balls from every single game that happens. Not not four hundred from five hundred from each game, but total right. about four or five hundred, and they get them from almost every game that happens through Major League Baseball in the season or every series rather. Um, and they test them for different kind of qualities and stuff. And it turns out that the juiced balls, the ones that are springier, were used in the playoffs or at Yankee Stadium home games or Yankees home games, right? And we all know why that was. Um. That's a that's a little off topic, but it is you, this this very low level conflict resolution is so important to 
becoming uh, an adult man. You know what I mean? And understanding that there's a measured response to certain things because I don't know if you've ever seen somebody get into a fight for the first time as an adult. It's not pretty. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, and it's right. not, not just the embarrassing part of it, but they don't understand what a measured response to something is. Nate Diaz does. Somebody will mouth off to Nate Diaz in front of him to try to like rile him up, and he'll just slap him right in the face because right. he knows that'll end the conflict. Like, there's not going to be a fight after that. That's a look. That's a that's a different kind of intelligence. That is a very fucking caveman level street intelligence that is so important to make a well-rounded adult. You know exactly how far up to a line you can walk without something happening. Right. It's like if a guy trash talks you in a bar, you don't walk out to your car and get a pistol and come back in and shoot him. Yeah. That, that's not something. But someone kicks in your back door at 3 a.m. in the morning. You don't even say anything. You just you just start sending rounds this way. Mm. Like there's different responses to different things. I agree with you 100 percent. I can't say I've ever personally seen a full grown adult for the first time ever, but can't be that much different than a 16 year old boy where they kind of flail their arms and just drag whatever they can get their hands on. But I love that Nate, Nate Diaz point when he slapped that. I think it was a Nelk boy. Yeah. before but yeah. when that guy yeah like that kind of i see the tim kennedy book right behind mm. you he was an mma fighter too like yeah that's a great example if they wanted to they could take that way further but they know it's not necessary it's not smart you can lower the temperature and send the exact same message yeah and you know it's there there's behind these overreactions is a very deep-seated insecurity and it's an insecurity right. that comes from lack of experience in conflict resolution and actual fighting, uh, but mostly in conflict resolution. You know what I mean? It's just, you, you got to let kids work this stuff out. And it's, but, but again, it's another, <clears throat> it's the same analog for larger society. We, it's a, we, we've developed a complete nanny state at this point where, you know, a, a large part of the population feels like they have the right to not be offended, which is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Uh, Jordan Peterson did a great bit on a show about this one time. I actually saw somebody post it the other day and it was, this lady was uh, saying to him that transgender people specifically have the right to not be offended by, so you can't call them by the wrong name or whatever. And he goes, well, why do you have the right to correct me right now? Cause you're offending me. And she paused right. for five solid seconds and was like, uh, I guess you got me there. It's like, yeah, this is all fucking <laughs> stupid. Yeah, I mean, number one, I don't want to be around people that are that easily offended. And number two, if you're a full-grown adult or even as a child, you don't have a right to virtually anything at all when it comes to other people, right? Like someone obviously doesn't have a right to impede on your safety or like steal your shit. We all know that. But just because you don't like what they're saying, you don't have a right to, I mean, you have a right to complain. You don't have a right to do anything past that. Like in England, there are people who get arrested for making offensive Facebook comments, sometimes about gay marriage, sometimes about Islam. That to me is unbelievably terrifying. And don't think that couldn't happen here. If it, if it hasn't already, I don't know. But the people, that is a sign of such a weak soul and such a weak person, either combat the ideas with better ideas of your own or two, walk away. You're not required to listen to them. You can put one foot in front of the other and leave. Yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> nothing new, though, right? I mean, this has been going on since. This is the reason that the uh, FCC exists in the first place. Um, George Carlin used to do a great bit about it. About it was a it was a reverend in like fucking Mississippi or some shit that heard something he didn't like on the radio, and he 
started writing relentlessly writing as congressman over and over and over again until finally you know of course people that uh our politicians are going to seize on any opportunity they can to control other people so right. uh, the fcc came about from that and he was like well reverend i don't want to alarm you but if you look down at that radio there's two knobs on it and you can turn <laughs> one of them turns the channel and the other one turns the goddamn radio off you know what i mean <laughs> I've, I've never heard that before, but that is that is absolutely amazing. I got to put that on a poster. That's one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Yeah, I'll send you. I'll find the clip and send you send it to you. It's really funny. And it's, but the 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 general idea is like, why you 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 don't have the right to not be offended. That's not that's not right. a thing, right? I mean, like how how could you prepare the entire world to not offend anybody? without some measure, one, of groupthink, and then two, of authoritarianism, right? That's the only way that would ever work. Right, and I thought in America, the whole idea is like, we weren't supposed to have protected groups of people. Like, we're all supposed to be equal. At least that was my understanding the last time I checked. So when you say, hey, you can't joke about this group because they're protected. Well, now what you've done is you've elevated that group. What you've done is you've put them ahead of everyone else. And it's also wildly insulting. It's like the bigotry of low expectations. And you you hear um, black people talk about this a lot uh, against it. When you hear them like, oh, well, they can't get an ID. We can't have voter ID laws because they can't get an ID. And you'll see interviews with you know African-Americans, black people. Like, what makes you think we can't get an ID? Like, do you think we just have spent our entire adult lives with no identification? It's the same thing. Like, so let's say someone's transgender. Why do you assume they're going to be offended by a transgender joke. Are they not a full grown adult? Maybe they'll find it hilarious. You don't know. And it's also not your place to dictate or white knight for entire groups of people. Yeah, well, I mean, look, <clears throat> we it's it's mostly middle aged white women, isn't it? That do this. Oh, for some reason, they're so offended on everybody else's behalf. And I don't understand why I think it's because like some of me think it's oppression FOMO, like they the oppression against, particularly against white women, got solved so long ago that it's not really as relevant as everybody else's oppression, but they still feel aggrieved in some way, and they're just acting out because of that on everybody else's behalf. It's it's a very bizarre well, psychology. As many comedians have said, there's no worse group of people in America than than middle class, upper middle class as white women. I mean, they're truly, as we all know, they, they lash out at everything. And I think it, it comes almost from a superiority complex and arrogance right like they think they're more important than other people they think they're smarter than other people so when they see something they either feel like it's their job to stick their nose in it and give you their opinion you saw this in dc all the time i got yelled at for not wearing a mask outside all the time at the height of covid it was always by white always without fail and it's like lady cross the street if you don't like it. you don't like it cross the street I'm not yelling at you for anything. You could take a mask off. You can wear 20 masks. It's not my life. It doesn't matter to me. But I don't inject myself into your decision making. Mm. <clears throat> Pun intended, I imagine. Yeah, and it's uh, the, it, it's weird because they'll stop short of criticizing somebody for shitting in the street. But if you're walking with a mask <laughs> on or walking without a mask on, then then you got a problem, right? It's uh, well. Well, well, the for a quick example would be remember all the feminists who feel the need to weigh in on absolutely everything that goes wrong in America, like something minorly happens to a woman and, and it's whether it's justified or not, there's outrage. You had a couple of women who actually got murdered in Iran and those same women were very quiet. But the ones who did speak were very interesting. They're like, well, it's just culturally different. They want to be dressed like that. That's what Islam is. 
And it's like, oh, so now all of a sudden, not only are you an expert on American domestic politics, you're now also an expert on the ideology of people in Iran. I got it. They know everything about everything. Yeah, I'm sure that people uh, who aren't allowed to vote, drive, think for themselves or go out in public love to be dressed in a fucking beekeeper outfit all day when it's 120 degrees right. outside. Uh, you know, it the, the, the levels to which people will fucking delude themselves to maintain their worldview is incredible to me. I, I've never held on to any belief that strongly that, that new evidence wouldn't or a good argument wouldn't, you know, change my mind. I feel like that's uh, almost a lost art these days. But yeah, that, that one might be the most egregious because this has been going on for 10 or 12 years now. These uh, uh, moralistic white women and Western Muslims, uh, which is to say extremely moderate Muslims, have been critical of anybody who's critical of the hijab and the oppression that it represents. And that is exactly what it is. It's not the, the relationship between the the various beekeeper outfits and the religion is primarily centered on not provoking sexual thoughts in men. It has nothing to do with their commune with God. It's not like the yarmulke where it's showing respect that you have something over you. It's literally just to obfuscate your features so you don't tempt some other dude. Like, are you fucking kidding me? That's what you're defending? Right. It's insane. And I mean... You could go on and on, but just from a basic human level, you're wearing a black hat right now. Mm. If I told you you had to wear a black hat every single day of your life for any reason I decided to make up, and if you don't wear the hat, I'm going to have you arrested, beaten, and thrown in jail, you would look at me and say, that's maybe the dumbest thing I've ever heard, ever. Same thing. It's the exact same concept. It, it It's mind-boggling to me, and it's always the loudest who love to criticize the United States the most, who won't say a damn word when you see serious oppression into me, that's the sign of a true coward. I mean, LeBron James in China would be another great example. Yeah. I was just going to bring that up. Let's pivot back to sports here because there's a lot of people in, um, <clears throat> there's a lot of people making a fuckload of money from China, particularly in the NBA and the NFL who have, uh, done quite a bit to tear down the United States, in my opinion, right. Without any real understanding of what's happening here. Um, but never have a word to say. Like the whole thing that went on with Daryl Morey is still the dumbest goddamn series of events that I've ever seen in my life from, from a practical standpoint when it comes to true social justice. I mean, it would have been a, as if um, <clears throat> Muhammad Ali during his protests would have said, you know, something negative about the, the Armenian genocide or something like that. Like, oh, that never happened or whatever the fuck. Although maybe he did because the Turkish Muslims really don't like talking about that shit too much. But, um, you know, the, the series of events was LeBron James gets deeply active in American side, social justice. Daryl Morey makes a comment about how there's Uyghur Muslim concentration camps. And to be clear for those in the audience, there's 1400 or so active Uyghur Muslim concentration camps where they are force aborting babies, where they are uh, using slave labor, where they are harvesting people's organs. This is happening. It's all documented. You don't have to fucking trust me. You can look that shit up. So he's critical of that. And LeBron James says he should keep his mouth shut because he's ignorant about what's going on. And which is fucking, I mean, I never follow up defense to that statement. And then when people ask him about it later on, uh, well, would you like to comment? Here's some evidence. Would you like to comment on this evidence? He goes, oh, I don't know enough about that to comment on it. It's like, you knew enough to call right. Daryl Morey an idiot. 
right, for standing up for what's right, but not enough to stand up for what's right. And, and there was the report that came out, I think, only a few months ago that was kind of a look back at that. And they said LeBron James was seething in private meetings with the NBA that they weren't doing more to go after Daryl Morey. Look, it's this simple. If an NBA player sat in front of the American press, because the reason they don't want to talk out is like, oh, we're going to get in trouble. We're going to lose money. And that's pathetic, first off, to begin with. If an NBA player sat in front of the American press and looked the cameras in the eyes and said, hey, look, we make we wear Nike shoes. Nike shoes are made in China. You know what they're doing in China? They're they're raping Uyghur women. Mm. They're 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 giving men. They're cutting their testicles off. They're giving the women hysterectomies. And I don't stand for that. And I think it's disgusting. Yeah, you know. And you went on. You'd be a hero. Like like. Do you not think the American media would embrace that person immediately as a hero? And could they not make some of the money back? If that's really all they care about. Maybe, but more than anything, it would send an example to everyone else. Like, hey. It's better to speak out than just take a paycheck. LeBron James' most cowardly comment through that whole thing was when he said, yes, we have freedom of speech, but there's consequences for that mm -hmm. freedom of speech. Not from the Chinese government, there's not. There's no consequences from the Chinese government. They don't. If the Chinese don't like what we say, you know what we do? We laugh in their face and tell them to kiss our ass. Because mm -hmm. this is the United States of America. And instead, that guy who's worth probably close to a billion dollars is so insecure that he still won't say anything, even though he's got a billion dollars in the bank. Yeah, it's, it makes you wonder, how much money exactly do you have to make before you can fucking buy yourself some integrity? You know what I mean? Like, it, if you've got a billion, I mean, is is the next hundred million really going to be what stops you from standing up from people getting raped and, and organ harvested? Is that really the... I mean, I don't understand this thought process I mean, at all do you want do you want it to say in your obituary that you were worth an extra five percent in net worth or do you want it to say he was one of three professional athletes who routinely criticized the ccp for human rights violations me i'd rather have the second one because that's a legacy people are going to remember in history books they'll be teaching that to hopefully teaching that to people and you'll be looked at as a hero and instead uh he wants the money. He wants the he wants the positive press. He the NBA and that's why the NBA won't do anything because he's the face of the league, right? And they you know they have this weird relationship where neither one will risk the other one. Um, it's to me it's so cowardly and the fact that no one else other than Enos Cantor mm. uh, and I believe one player on the Nuggets, but it's it's embarrassing. It's shameful. And what do you think? So LeBron's going to be gone in a year or two, right? Um, I guess the first question is who's the face of the NBA after that for some brief amount of time, it'll probably be Steph Curry. Um, but after that, you're looking at, you know, uh, Giannis and people, young, younger guys. Um, uh, 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 I guess. Yeah. Giannis is probably still the biggest star. I think uh, the Grizz may have something to say about that here in the next couple of years, but he's still the biggest non Curry LeBron star. Um, do you think that's going to change at all? I, I don't know too much about, um, Giannis' perspective on world events in general, much less you know uh, 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 social justice issues. But <clears throat> Curry's been notably silent on everything, uh, and he makes quite a bit of money from China as well. Yeah, it's interesting because Giannis grew up. I think he was initially born in Africa in extreme poverty, and then moved to Greece, and then obviously gets to the United States. So maybe a guy who comes from such a harsh background is more sympathetic to the oppressed. At least logically, you would hope so. That's a really, really good question. I remember to draw back to Steph Curry. Let's not forget his dumbass coach when he said, you know, they asked him, "Do you?" bring up the atrocities of China. He's like, well, the Chinese don't ask me about AR-15s in America. It's like, are those two things really comparable? Is the Second Amendment comparable to a genocide? 
Because I'm pretty sure if you armed all the Uyghur Muslims, the Chinese might have a lot harder time rounding them up. That guy, Steve Kerr, whose father was murdered mm. overseas and should understand that, uh, that might be the biggest idiot in all of coaching in the NBA. Yeah, it was really disappointing to hear him make some of those comments. I always thought of uh, as Steve Kerr as a thoughtful guy, um, and, and he still is. I think he's just captured by the fucking stupidity of our society right now, which is, you know, means he's not actually thoughtful. It, it, there's some level of compliance. I think that, um, I, I think it's an expectation. It's the weight of society. And that's what, you know, authoritative power wants over you. They want, they want, look, they're not going to be able to come out and outright threaten you, but they can build enough traps. They can build enough pressure over the course of all the facets of your life from your workplace to your family life, to your fucking bank account, to the ease of travel, whatever it is to force you into compliance. And none of these things on their own are uh, uh, possible, I guess, to control you or uh, even obviously nefarious, but collectively they have the same outcome. And you see a very bright man with some unique perspective on exactly what happens when you keep your mouth shut or when you speak out and when you should, even within his own family. And he still capitulates to this stuff. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It makes zero sense to me. And I think the other thing that I would say that I know your viewers are going to agree with is, is outkick readers do too. I'm interested in people's opinion, but Steve Kirby and a basketball coach does not make his opinion on China or gun control. Any, more impressive than the average citizen he wants to give his opinion on how to win basketball games i'll elevate that above everyone else's that's what he gets paid to do his opinion about ar-15s is irrelevant to me other than it's the opinion of a single american citizen which he's free to have i think it's absolutely stupid he's free to have it problem is we teach young people and we teach people who are obsessed with with culture that those people are all geniuses and they're not most of them are absolute idiots outside of their one specific craft. Mm. People need to realize that. Yeah, my buddy Chris Williamson, uh, he hosts the podcast Modern Wisdom. I don't know if you've seen it before, but he, he makes this point all the time that there used to be to become famous or notable or whatever it is used to have there, there had to be. You had to, there had to be something special about you, right? And in in the lane in which you were being respected, so. Um, like nobody was going to Babe Ruth for political advice and nor, nor should right. they. Right. But when, you know, when black players started playing in professional sports and there were social justice issues coming along, uh, not that they were necessarily experts in the political science part of it, but certainly they had some unique perspective on what it was like to be oppressed. Right. Especially in the thirties, forties and fifties, um, which carried over to the professional athletes uh, that came about in the 1960s. So that opinion that uh, uh, perspective, certainly something of value, right? But we wouldn't be asking Muhammad Ali to, to comment on foreign policy or math. You know what I mean? Like the, just, just because you're significant in one avenue doesn't necessarily confer any kind of expertise in another. It doesn't make any sense. And I think one of the most frustrating things to me is the lack of consistency. So if you were outraged about what Kyle Rittenhouse did, which to be clear, I was not outraged that he shot those three people. I think it's foolish to maybe bring an AR-15 to a hopeless situation. But if you're outraged about that, number one, get the facts right. Jacob Blake got shot by the cops 100% justified as the DOJ determined. <laughs> Same state, Waukesha, Wisconsin, a domestic terrorist and an insane racist drives a car through a parade kills six people, wounds dozens others. 
How many NBA games did they postpone out of outrage for what that guy did? Well, that was zero. That was cops. That was an SUV that did that. That wasn't a person, right? Oh yeah, that's right. My my bad. The yeah. S, that that's fair. The cops determine Jacob Blake, who admitted to having a weapon, a knife, get shot with two children in a car, and they shut the NBA down. I think for two whole days. Mm -hmm. Same state. Way worse situation, and they don't say a damn word about it. I mean, at the at a minimum, be consistent. Yeah, and I but I think there's you know <clears throat> from the athlete's perspective, there's a price to pay for being on the wrong side, uh, quote unquote, wrong side of these arguments. Like I, uh, we just we've seen it with a couple of guys, not so much on the social justice stuff. Um, I guess Drew Brees is a giant pussy. He capitulated immediately. Uh, on the kneeling thing, but with COVID's, uh, with COVID specifically, like Cole Beasley, for example, was like, I'm not fucking doing this shit. And he basically lost a year and a half of his career, uh, uh, actually two years, if you want to count the whole time. And now I guess he's back now for the rest of this season. We'll see about beyond, but there are a lot of people who paid a pretty heavy price for not being pussies. Um, and that's something that typically throughout history we would, we would have respected like, uh, Muhammad Ali losing his boxing license because he refused to engage in Vietnam. Uh, you know, people still respect him quite a bit for that. But Cole Beasley well, will go down as just a fucking, they'll try to lump him in with Kyrie Irving. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's completely unacceptable. I think Cole Beasley turned out to be right about a lot of things. I think he gave that press conference where he talked about how the vaccine wasn't as effective mm -hmm. as they wanted you to believe. Turned out to be 100% right. I think the problem, and this applies well to Drew Brees, is they convinced themselves that all the, the squawking and complaining on Twitter is how the majority of people feel. Drew Brees, more people agree with Drew Brees that you should stand for the national anthem or at a minimum <laughs> respect the anthem then agree with taking a knee. And I'm not even sure it's particularly close. But the vocal people on TV, on social media, they convinced him, as I'm sure the team did, you got to apologize. I would have said no. Oh, my God. I'm going to apologize. I would love for that to happen to me. Just no one's ever had the fucking temerity to try to convince me to do something like that, to to, to bend my fucking uh, my will, I guess, in a, especially not in a professional workplace. But I really would love for that just to happen once because – you know, it would just be so fun to to navigate that, I think. I mean, what happened to having a backbone of any kind for literally we're talking about standing for the flag of the United States of America, that it's simple. It, to me, it's simple. I'm not saying you have to love everything America's done, but is there we're really in a debate whether or not you should apologize for saying you should stand for the national anthem? I mean, it's I'm at a loss for words even thinking about it that was cowardly drew Brees should be ashamed of himself what yeah. what the hell was he thinking i have no idea and i'll i mean honestly that's one of those that's one of those moments in sports that i'll never forget the the just immediate capitulation was so uh it was so slimy because i it doesn't seem like the kind of guy that's dumb enough to believe the rhetoric he did it just because he didn't want to feel the discomfort that's my problem Right. And and there were, you know, there were players around the league tweeting about it. You know, he just doesn't get it. He doesn't get what we've been through. Guess what? He's an American citizen. If you have the if you claim you have the right to knee to take a knee during the national anthem, then guess what? Everyone has an equal right to say, shut the hell up. I stand for the national anthem. It's crazy. We've been debating this for six years, and there's still people who think that like that's now not just an unacceptable and unpopular opinion. It's one you have to apologize for. You have to apologize for believing in the flag.
Yeah, it's really stupid. And, you know, I mean, the, the, a reasonable person would. I mean, it's like you live in a house and some people like the house, the way it's constructed. You don't you're not a, uh, particularly a fan of it. And your response is to just constantly talk shit about the house. And then if somebody corrects you on it, you're like, this is my right to talk shit about the house. Well, you can move the fuck out or, right. you know, make it better. That's the more reasonable solution. So I'm not sure what they thought kneeling for the flag was going to do. This idea that it's raising awareness. Nobody was not aware of what the fuck was going on. You know what I mean? It was very clear what was going on. And, and the thing with the Kaepernick thing is everyone loves to forget this. The media loves to just wipe this like it never happened. They say, well, it's never about America. It was never about the police. You read Kaepernick's first statement when he took a knee. He said, I'm not going to stand for the flag of a country where police murder unarmed people. He distinctly made it clear it was about the country as a whole. And then the media just pretends like that never happened because he tried to, you know, spin mm. the narrative. So shame on the media, too. Yeah. Do you know how many unarmed black people get killed per year by police? Unarmed, I would say less than 40. Nine. Not so. Yeah. So I even I, I watched the news and I even greatly over overestimated it. Yeah. Douglas uh, Murray, who's one of my favorite authors, did uh, a, a study on this and found that. Uh, or he had, uh, quotes it in his in his latest book. He found that um, if you ask a normal person, uh, or I'm sorry, if you ask a Republican person how how many, it's usually somewhere in that area, 40 to 50. If you ask uh, a center left Democrat, they'll say 100. And if you ask, uh, I'm sorry, they'll say 1,000. Excuse me. And if you ask, uh, if you ask a far left Democrat, like a progressive person, they'll say 10,000. So you're talking about multiple orders of magnitude away like 10 like a thousand times worse than what it actually is in their mind and this is social programming right it's why uh, all this stuff that's coming out on twitter now about how essentially the fbi rigged the 2020 election and you can call it whatever you want but a major piece of information that they knew to be accurate that <clears throat> suggested one of the candidates was in bed with foreign governments uh, like they just accused the previous candidate of being uh, but right. this time there's actual evidence and it's all real. Uh, they intentionally obfuscated that and censored it from the public and, and actually paid social media companies for their time in doing so. That's a big deal, right? It, it's a huge deal. And let me tell you this, the social media companies were more than willing. They did it with a smile on their face to help censor. There was no debate. There was no pushback. That's been made crystal clear. Uh, the Daily Call, when I worked there, had the Hunter Biden laptop, as did a couple of outlets. We knew it was real within a very short period of time. I don't know the exact, but it was quickly. And then I think it took the Washington Post two years. I think it took them two years. And a guy by the name of Andrew Kerr did great reporting on it. And it was obvious it was real. The, the feds got together with social media. We know this. This is not conspiracy theory. It is out there. The messages are public. And why, why aren't the Twitter files being covered as much as Tucker Carlson's covering? He's the one major guy on TV who's covering them extensively. Why isn't anyone else talking about it? Does anyone have an answer to that? Kind of important, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, you know the answer. The answer is that they were complicit the entire time. They knew They knew exactly what all of us knew. They knew that the fucking vaccine was not a real vaccine, right? Because we had to change the goddamn definition of what a vaccine is and, and earlier this year in June. Like the CDC and the dictionary changed the definition of the vaccine this year to mean right. uh, something completely different than what it's ever meant. In addition, they just changed the definitions of man and woman, but it's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but everybody knew what was going on. They knew, we, we've had evidence since, um, 
uh, Jay Bhattaharya, Dr. Jay Bhattaharya, uh, published in March of 2020, right at the beginning of the pandemic, that this is the same kind of respiratory virus that's going to target old, sick, and fat people. All this lockdown shit is unnecessary, and they fucking banned him from Twitter. And the media called him a kook, even though he's one of the most uh, uh, well-situated people on earth to make that statement. And it happened with every major issue, whether it's the social justice stuff, uh, where $2 billion worth of damage was created versus January 6th, where it's like a million and a half dollars. I mean, it's not even close. It's like people staying within the stanchions, whether it was COVID, whether it was lockdowns, all this stuff, whether it was influence in the 2020 election. So they had this wild conspiracy theory that in 2020, Trump must have cheated. He couldn't possibly have won. And then when they found out it wasn't true, they did that conspiracy theory themselves. It's like the biggest period of gaslighting in human history. Right. And, and people who have some pride should step forward and apologize. Like, it's OK to make mistakes if you truly didn't know better. And if you had honor and guts, you'd step forward and say, hey, look, I made a mistake. I reported this incorrectly. I was wrong about this. And that's how you regain trust in the media. And instead, you see people writing dumbass op-eds where it's like, it's time to forget and forgive everything that happened during COVID. It's like, is it though? Because a lot of lives were ruined and I'm not so sure we're ready to just move on all of a sudden. <clears throat> yeah, that's not going to happen. Um, it, it's just, you know, it, it's they, they got their last slap in and they're like, all right, the fight's over now. It's like, nope, buddy, we're not even started <laughs> yet here. Uh, look, I appreciate you coming on today. Tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find your uh, your work. So you can find us at outkick.com, spell it just like it says. And then you can find my podcast, American Joyride, on YouTube under the Outkick page and on social media, Twitter and Instagram. Follow me at dhookstead, David Hookstead on Twitter, David underscore Hookstead on Instagram. And this has been awesome. This is like a world's colliding moment being in the under the drinking bros umbrella. Yeah, we need to, we'll have to have you on a, on the sports show sometime soon and talk about just regular fucking shit. Um, but uh, the, tell me about the podcast before we get out of here. Yeah, so it's it's called American Joyride. I started a podcast when I was at the caller, took it, did a little rebranding without kicking. It's just mostly tier one operators, veterans. We talk about mental health stuff. We talk about family, we talk about sports, conspiracy theories, uh, a lot of combat stories, a lot of guys from the unit, a lot of guys from SEAL Team 6. So, uh, yeah, it's awesome. Uh, I respect the hell out of those guys. I'm just a very curious guy, and I never did any of it, so I just mm. want to learn. Cool. Well, we've got uh, Rob O'Neill on our network. i got to send him over to you so you can get him on the show sometime. I, I've, I, I interviewed him a while ago. I've met Rob a handful of times. He's a great, great dude. I'm mm. entertaining as all hell. Drank beers with him at the Naval Academy with my girlfriend. So, yeah, send him my way again, and we'll do another one with him for sure. Yeah, we'll do, man. Thanks for your uh, time today. I really appreciate it. Yep. Have a good one. Yeah, you as well. And thank you all for listening. This has been Citizen. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. 
new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.